0: I was born and raised in New England in a great family with great parents and a great sister. It was winters and falls in New- in Massachusetts and then uh, idyllic summer on the main coast every year. I was able to play football, baseball, and basketball and captain all those teams. I mean, it was just spectacular. Very soon after, I go to school in Worcester, Massachusetts. Again, I got really good grades and I was able to play football and baseball it was easy to get a job as an engineer. I was a mechanical engineer by, by degree and I had a minor in two or three other things. But the hard part was to figure out what is success. At 22 years old, I decided that success is, a, is just a great career. And, uh, and I put my nose to the grindstone in, in the brand new field called computers. I had sold my soul to rise up the corporate ladder. I convinced myself I was doing it for the family but inside, I was, I was hollow. In fact, the loneliest, most hollow day in my life was the day that I was promoted to the position that I've always dreamed of getting, thinking that that was gonna be the answer to my happiness, the answer to my success as a man. I didn't have a relationship with God. I had fallen away from my spouse. I didn't know my kids. I've got everything I wanted in the career. And then I look at my dad, right? My dad is a school teacher and a a baseball coach. He was the happiest, most joyful man I've ever met. And, And he would look at me and say, son, you're a shell of what you should be. Out of love, he would say, the good news is, is you're winning the rat race. You're getting promotions. You're making lots of money. The bad news is, is you're still a rat. Here I was, the the uh, chief operating officer of, of a firm that I created, uh, of a firm that's going to make me rich, and I feel miserable. But this Bible, this God's Word, just just enlightened me and just fired me up. By the grace of God, one of my tennis buddies, we're playing tennis at one night, one of my tennis buddies says, hey, you got to come check out my church. We're just about to move into the Westlake High School, and I didn't know what to expect. I brought my Bible, you know, I didn't know where to to genuflect, being an old Catholic. I didn't know what to do, but I sat down nervously, and then the, the worship band uh, came on stage, and it just blew my socks off. Pastor Matt comes on stage, and then he speaks straight from the Bible, this loving message about how much God loves me and wants to prosper me, and I walked out of there to not touching the ground. I mean, this was the start of something big. God had captured my heart, but, but my journey had just started. Uh, but it was so exciting, and it quickly led to giving my life to Jesus Christ and getting baptized by Pastor Mac, and it was it was just so rewarding. I was onto something that for the previous 20 years I, I couldn't figure out, and, it, and it's about God's grace, and it's about what He's doing in my life and, and how He's given me purpose. This new relationship with God changed my perspective and definition of what success was from being career focused, achievement focused, work focused, to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and working for His glory, for something much bigger than myself. Today, I have a beautiful, loving wife. I've got three beautiful children, all in different stages of life, which is just a joy. I've been working on staff for the last 14 years. I get to greet every single person as a greeter uh, uh, on, uh, in front of the building every single week. What a privilege that is. That's just a small portion of the grace God has given me and, and, and the blessings that's come with it. More importantly, I know love. I know joy. I know peace. I have a purpose, purpose much bigger than myself. I'm working towards God's glory. I'm working towards an eternal treasure. I'm working to help the people in my community know how much God loves them and there's no job more rewarding than that.
1: Good morning how are you today good good man y'all must have made great time on the marathon this morning if you're here already for this service that's awesome it's impressive what are you laughing at y'all didn't all run the marathon this morning i didn't either <clears throat> i just thought i'd throw that out there i don't know if you knew there was a marathon going on today it's good to see you today man what, a, what an amazing story I, I want to say a special word of thanks to mike valentin for sharing with us his story. For those of you who don't know, Mike is our pastor of finance and operations and a member of our staff. And uh, he's just, just for him to have the transparency to share that meant a whole lot. But I think it also ties directly into that song that John just did a phenomenal, thank our band with me one time, will you? They do such a great job. ...herbs, kill my heart and soul. That's a that's something I think a lot of us can relate to. Even if you don't live in the suburbs, there's something in all of us that strives for, for comfort. We, we strive for, for civilization. And, and that while there's a part of that that can be really healthy and can be good, there's also another part of it that we have to be very, very careful about. Here's what I mean I want you to, right now, with passion and enthusiasm, tell the person sitting next to you, don't get too comfortable. Some of y'all are a little too comfortable in the way you said that. Now, tell them like you mean it. Tell them with enthusiasm. Don't get too comfortable. Very nice. Now, let me tell you where I had this brought home to me. This past summer, I got to be a part of a trip that we took from Lake Hills Church and some points beyond even, where we went to Israel in the middle of the summer this summer, and it was an amazing, amazing trip, an amazing experience. We took a boat across the Sea of Galilee where Jesus calm the waters. We saw the hillside where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And our last nights of the trip, we spent four nights in Jerusalem. And it just so happens that those four nights where we were in Jerusalem were the four nights where Israel and Hamas kind of started to escalate hostilities. And so we started to hear air raid sirens because there were rockets being launched into Jerusalem toward the hotel. And one night even they evacuated our hotel and took us down underground in the parking garage for safety. Now, I got to tell you, I'm all about the experience and and getting the full meal deal when you tour somewhere, but this was a little bit more than we had bargained for. I remember we called from the basement of this hotel. I called our tour guide, Sippy, who was an amazing tour guide. She's an Israeli and her husband, as a matter of fact, has served in Israeli intelligence. Wherever you are in the world, you want Israeli intelligence on your side. That's a good thing. And so I remember calling Sippy kind of in a little bit of an American panic going, hey Sippy, um, there said there are rockets coming at the hotel and just wanted to kind of get a heads up from you. What time do we want to start the tour tomorrow? (laughs) And I'll never forget Sippy. She said, Mac, do not worry. It is no problem where you are. There are so many mosques around your hotel, they will not fire at them because they do not know where these rockets are going. You go to bed and sleep tight. See you in the morning. <laughs> While the air raid sirens are still going off, mind you. So the next day, Sippy shows up at the hotel, bright-eyed and bushy tails, 6.45 in the morning. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Are you ready to go? We're like, I don't know, are we? And she goes, let me explain something to you. This is a big deal for you. Big deal. Sirens, rockets. It's just another day in Israel for us. And and there was a part of me, because along with Pastor Terry, we were responsible for the safety of our group. And I was like, you know what? Another day in Israel may be one day too many. But we went out and we were completely safe the whole time we were there. Excuse me. But it was an amazing reminder of just how Comfortable, we as Americans are. Most of us did not have a rocket fired at us this week. And the fact of the matter is, in our comfort, if we're not really, really careful, we can get soft. We can lose our edge. And spiritually speaking, in our quest for comfort, a lot of times we can forget the reality of evil. We can forget the reality of sin and the consequences of evil and sin in this world, which is why, as we continue this series, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the story of grace, it's important for us to remember just exactly what it is that grace answers. Why is it that grace is so amazing? And to do that, we have to get our minds and our hearts around the reality of sin. Sin in this world, sin in our lives, and as you read kind of God's essay on grace, which is the book of Romans, there's an amazing passage in Romans chapter 5 where the apostle Paul, writing under the authority and in the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, Paul explains why grace and sin have to be understood As opponents they have to be understood for what they really and truly are Romans chapter 5 verse 12 talks about the first sin that ever happened in the world the the original sin that's recorded of course in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned against God they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told them not to eat from but Paul here in Romans chapter 5 connects Adam and Eve to the grace of of Jesus Christ and God look at what he says here Romans five twelve. when Adam sinned sin entered the world Adam's sin brought death so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned you've sinned I've sinned all God's children have sinned we all understand what that means now you know in the sophistication of the 21st century we like to debate what is sin and what isn't sin don't we one man's sin is another man's mistake one woman's mistake is another woman's sin when in reality the fact of the matter is we all bear the mark of sin now when we talk about sin i think it's important to understand what it is that we're talking about so if you will take out your program that you got when you came in i want to give you a working definition of sin because there are a lot of misconceptions about what sin really is and just as a place of beginning sin is very simply this sin is brokenness resulting in rebellion sin is brokenness resulting in rebellion now we like to think of sin and we a lot of times we say that sin is when you do something wrong when you lie to your parents, or you cheat on your taxes, or you kill somebody. Most of us would say, those are sins. That was a joke. That's a good place to laugh right there. Most of us would agree that killing somebody would be a sin. But anyway, I was just saying, if you were paying attention, there's my answer. (laughs) When in reality, the act is the symptom of the condition. Sin is, is brokenness resulting in the rebellion. The rebellion is that overt act which is merely representative of that which is inside of us already. We have all inherited a sin nature from Adam. From Adam and Eve. We've all got this. Nobody ever went to class to learn how to lie. You know, I mean, nobody, nobody had to teach you how to be selfish. Selfish. Here's what you need to do. Ignore other people's wants, needs, and desires and put your own above. That that just kind of comes naturally to us. But that is the brokenness that entered the world through Adam and Eve. Now when we talk about this brokenness, it's important to understand that this is not the end of the story. And if you're new around here, somebody brought you. I am not one of those preachers that loves to talk about sin, going to hell, fire and damnation. That's not who we are. That's not who I am. That's not what we're about. But we have to deal with reality. I've shared with our church before that when I was in the fifth grade, I broke my leg. It was a pretty severe break. I broke both bones clean through about three inches above the ankle. Wham! Now, the day that I broke it, the moment I broke it, I knew there was something wrong. I was down on the ground. As a matter of fact, I think looking back, I probably was actually in a little bit of shock. And, and I still remember well-meaning guys and and girls. We were playing keep-away before school one morning. I'll never forget people coming around me, and I heard somebody's voice go, hey, walk it off. Get up and walk it off. Now, he didn't understand my condition, but can you imagine if I had stood up there and tried to walk it off, like, here we go. All right, just better now. Yeehaw. That's a bad idea. Because it was broken, I had to go to the hospital. I had to Deal with the condition, and that meant dealing with him putting a hip cast on my leg for three months, wearing another cast below my knee for another month, so that the bone could be healed, so that it could be repaired. If I had just gotten up and tried to run it off, I would not be dealing with reality. Grace is the healing, but the sin is our brokenness. The world experiences brokenness that results in acts of rebellion. And so what I thought we might do here just this morning is very, very quickly go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and just look at the problem. Look, Look at what happened with Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. We know that God created male and female in the image of God. He created them male and female, gave them everything they would ever need for life, for love, for fulfillment, for relationship with him that was the very reason for which they were created and he said to them the entire garden is yours but there is one tree that I will tell you I will warn you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil stay away from the fruit of that tree do you know what the fruit was on that tree does anybody know just say it out loud if you know it wrong it was not an apple I just baited you into that it was actually an avocado which is the fruit of the devil I'm just kidding. I just said that because I don't like avocado. But (laughs) we don't actually know what the fruit is. We we don't know. It's always portrayed as an apple in art. But the reality is there was something about that that would make Adam and Eve aware of good and evil. Prior to this, they only knew about good. And yet, what happens when somebody tells you don't do something, what do you want to do? That. 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 You know what that's called? That's called the law of forbidden fruit. And this is where it comes from in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3 1, Eve is tempted. Now, I'm going to get to this in just a second, but isn't it fascinating that Satan, who is real, Satan, who is crafty, Satan, who is powerful, engaged only with Eve? Check this out. Verse 1, Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You see, what, you see what's going on here? God never said don't eat the fruit from any tree. He just said don't eat the fruit from that one tree. And yet here is Satan causing Eve and planting in Eve this uncertainty which causes her to doubt the word of God. That, that's the beginning of the problem. Isn't that true in our lives, too? We kind of start to doubt whether or not, now, did God really say this? I mean, was the Bible really relevant when it was written 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years? Yeah, a little bit, but now, man, things have changed. We've, we've progressed. I don't know that the Bible is really all that relevant. And we begin to doubt the Word of God. Eve began to doubt The Word of God. But can I just take a little moment here as an aside. Where in the wide world of sports was Adam? Where was Adam? Here's poor Eve doing battle with Satan himself. And Adam is nowhere to be found. May I please suggest to you that the absence of Adam Was the original sin? Not going to the tree. The original sin was Adam abdicating his role as a man, as a husband, and just leaving Eve to fend for herself. Not that she wasn't capable. Don't email me. I'm saying (laughs) they were made to go together to help one another. And here's Adam. Where's Adam? Don't do it, Eve. It's dangerous out there, Eve. Whoa, I I wouldn't do that. I don't know. And there's Eve, all by her lonesome. That's a whole series of sermons. But trust me when I tell you, Adam should have been there as a man created in the image of God. And he was nowhere pitiful. I get a little fired up about that. But Eve begins to doubt the word of God, and and she she answers Satan, the serpent, with the word of God. She goes, no, 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 God did not tell us we couldn't eat of any, but just that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said we can't eat of that tree because when we do, we would surely die. And Satan then begins to even creep in a little bit deeper, and he goes, you'll not surely die. You're not going to die if you eat of that tree. Verse 5, God knows, this is Satan talking to Eve, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Oh, man, here, here Satan has gotten really and truly at the heart of the matter because if, if we can just kind of you know, keep it real for a second together, just you and me, we like to be God. We do. Now, we, of course, we're too sophisticated to admit it out loud, but I like to chart my own course. I like to determine my own destiny. I like to be a self-made man. You like to be a self-made woman. And you like that. But what happens is when we begin to doubt the Word of God or the authority of God, we then begin to envy the status of God. We want that status for our own. That's where Satan came from. Did you know that Satan originally was one of God's angels? And Satan, who led worship in heaven, decided he wanted to be God. And he led a rebellion against God. (laughs) That's so funny. To rebel against God. I mean, as if. That's like me going, I'm going to go beat LeBron James in (laughs) one-on-one. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're short, you can't jump, you're old, and you're a little heavier than you ought to be. So you should not go try to beat LeBron James. Satan will never defeat God. He won't. You and I will never usurp God's authority. We may try for a little while, but it will not work. That's why God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree. That was a statement of love. That was a warning sign to them. But Satan is, is worming his way into the situation here. Verse 6, Genesis chapter 3. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. How many times do we give in to temptation because we think that will be better? I will be smarter, I will be wiser, I will have more fun, I will be more enlightened. And what that causes us to do is to ignore the warning of God. You see, every single command that God has given us in the Bible, every single principle and guideline for life is an expression of love. There's not one command in the Bible that is there for our detriment or harm or to keep us from having fun. It is all there as a warning. But you know, look at how the Bible says Eve noticed that the fruit looked beautiful. She she began to look at it differently. Now, not just was it something God had said don't do. Now all of a sudden it began to kind of, it was appealing. It was kind of attractive to her. She's like, ooh. See, Adam and Eve had looked at the tree before. But now she looked at it again and again and again. And she began to focus on that which God had forbidden as an act of love, as a warning to them. And she wanted it. It's not the first look. It's the second look. It's the third look. We all, I mean, do you see how relevant this is? Verse 7 and 8. She took the fruit, and at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They hid. You know, when you ignore the warning of God and you, you, just, you just take it. You, I'm, I'm going to do it. That will cause us to avoid The presence of God and when you begin to avoid the presence of God you've stepped away I've stepped away from life and that's the problem it's it's that this relationship with God it's not that you you missed one on the test you know the Ten Commandments and it says thou shalt not bear false witness okay I told a lie I only get a 90 today No, it's that you've put distance between yourself and God. I've put distance between God and myself. That's the ultimate consequence of this brokenness that leads to rebellion, is that we're estranged from a holy and perfect God. That's the problem. That's the problem. From Genesis 3 to right here and now, that's the problem. And the solution, the solution, is grace. That's the only solution there is. For those of you who weren't here last week, grace we defined as just the undeserved favor of God. The undeserved favor. God showed grace to Adam and Eve. There in the garden when they were ashamed of their nakedness. They'd never put on clothes before. They never worried about their nudity. They were, they were exposed before each other, exposed before God. It was no problem. I firmly believe prior to Genesis 3, not one time did Eve ever say, does this make me look fat? It never happened. <laughs> prior to Genesis 3, not one time did Adam ever hesitate. Well, no, you, you look fine. It never happened. But in his grace, because of their shame, The Bible says that God fashioned garments from the skins of animals to cover their shame so that they didn't have to be ashamed anymore. Blood was shed. You you can't take an animal skin without killing the animal. And in that grace, God covered their shame. Romans chapter 6. Verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The compensation, the paycheck for sin, for this brokenness that leads to rebellion is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, I've got this sin problem. The answer is to embrace Jesus. To embrace Jesus. The answer is not, take care of your sin. Stop it. The answer is to embrace Jesus. That's it. He has extended grace. He is grace personified in the flesh. And he has given this gift of eternal life that we might know it, that we can be forgiven, restored into the relationship that Adam and Eve began and that you and I have continued to rupture. You embrace Jesus. That's it. Nothing else. Not, do better tomorrow and we'll come back and talk about it. Not, we'll see how you are in a month. Not complete 12 or even 13 steps. Embrace Jesus. Embrace Jesus. That's it. Grace and grace alone. Respond to his grace initiative. Because ultimately it's about relationship. You embrace it. Now, that doesn't mean that you just keep on sinning. It doesn't mean that you just keep on doing whatever you feel like. It's all in the (laughs) grace. pa No. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. His grace is sufficient. And in His grace, I will honor Jesus. I will honor Him with every part of my life. I will trust His word. I will show up and fight the good fight and run the good race. I will honor Him with every word that comes out of my mouth. With every relationship that He's entrusted to me. Every business transaction. Every test that I ever take in school. Whatever it might be, honor Jesus With the grace of Jesus. You see, grace is both defensive and offensive. Grace defends us against the judgment and the consequences of sin. But it also empowers us to honor Jesus and to live for him in everything that we do. And the great theologian Vince Lombardi once said, The best defense is a good offense. If your offense is on the field, you're keeping their offense off the field. Go do something for his kingdom, for his purposes, by his grace, in your weakness, in my weakness. So I I boast about the things I don't do well. I, I will celebrate the fact that I can't, and I will watch, and I will work in the grace of Jesus Christ. the good, and the bad, and the ugly. Grace, and grace alone. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And as you do, I want to invite you to think about that passage that I read in Romans, that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. The free gift, the grace gift. If you're here today and you've never received that personally and definitively by saying, God, I need grace, I accept your amazing grace, why not right now? Why not just right where you're sitting, begin a relationship with Jesus? Step into that grace. It's the most important decision you'll ever make because it affects every other decision, it's the reason for which you were created. If you're here today and you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of grace receiving, just right where you are, just silently talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your grace. And so, Jesus, right now, I confess my sin to you, and I claim your forgiveness. Not because I deserve it, but because of your grace. And I accept this gift of life that is truly life, starting right here, right now. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed because this is a sacred moment right now. As God moves in people's lives and If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, I want you to know this is big. This is real. And so as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that was your prayer, I want to ask you if you would just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. And in this moment, I want you to know that the Bible says all of heaven celebrates this with you. It's a big deal, and it's real. And so we as a church celebrate that with you. We want to be a family of faith to help you grow in this new relationship, to grow in the grace of Jesus. And so as a church, we honor that. We celebrate that. And so, I'm going to ask you if you would put your hands down and allow us to put our hands together and tell you, Welcome home. Welcome home.